Our scripture reading this morning is from John's Gospel, chapter 13, and we're going to read together the first 20 verses. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, "'Lord, do you wash my feet?' Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, that you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Before we consider God's word together, let's pray and ask for his mercy and grace. Father, we have just heard the word of the Lord, and we've all responded with one voice. Thanks be to God. And we are indeed thankful for the word of God. And we pray now that by your spirit, we would understand the things that we have heard. But Lord Jesus, we also have just heard you tell us, if you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. And so we pray that by your Spirit we would know the blessing of doing these things. For we ask it in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we continue in our series in John's Gospel, we've come to John chapter 13. And this marks a significant transition in the Gospel. And it's helpful sometimes just to open up Scripture and read big chunks of it at a time. And if you were to do that with John's Gospel, just open it up and start in chapter 1, 
and just read through chapters 1 to 12, you'll see there that what John is unfolding for us through the signs that Jesus is performing, through his teaching, through his sayings, he's revealing the glory of the Son of God. And as we read through chapter by chapter, uh, a, a new aspect of that glory is revealed to us. And in the midst of Jesus' signs and in the midst of his teaching, he's in Galilee, he's in Jerusalem, but it's very active, and there are some that are following him in faith. They believe what they see, they believe what they hear. But he's also stirring up controversy, and increasingly stirring up controversy, to the point now where the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees have come together and they are conspiring to kill him. And so if you're reading through these chapters, it's very active, and he's out there among the crowds, and there's controversy, and there's opposition, and there's faith. But now in chapter 13, the, the pace of the narrative slows, and the focus becomes Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. He's sitting at table with his disciples, and he speaks. I remember as a little boy, I had one of the Bibles that had the words of Jesus in red. And I always liked flipping through the Gospels and finding, you know, looking for a whole page that was read. And you would find it in the Sermon on the Mount, like, oh, everything's red. It's all red. And then in John chapter 13 to 17, these chapters, there's a lot of red. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Now, I don't, I don't put significance into the red versus the black letters. But Jesus speaks a lot with his disciples in these chapters. But before he speaks, he does something. Before he says anything to his disciples, he gets up from the table, he takes off his outer garment, he wraps a towel around his waist, he fills a basin with water, and he goes around to each one of his disciples, he kneels down before them, and he washes their feet. And before he says anything, he does that action. Now John begins this account of this dinner with his disciples and what Jesus says to his disciples and what he does this way in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now this is how John introduces this Last Supper. And he tells us that Jesus knew that his hour had come. The hour had arrived. Throughout the gospel, he's been looking forward to this hour, but saying the hour has not yet come. Now it has come. The hour in which he will accomplish the purpose for which his father sent him. The hour in which he will be glorified in his death. The hour in which he will take away the sin of the world. That hour has now come. And so, knowing that he was departing out of this world to the father, he knew that. He was leaving the world. But having loved his own who were in the world. And this will be a theme as we read through these next few chapters. Chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Jesus warning his disciples, I'm about to depart. But you're going to stay. And in fact, I'm sending you into the world. I'm departing from the world. You are remaining in the world. And I'm sending you into the world. And as we read through these chapters, we'll hear that the world is a place of hatred. The world will hate you. It's a place of persecution. It's a place of tribulation. You will suffer. You'll be hated. You'll be persecuted. It's a, it's a place of testing. You'll be tempted to fall away. 
but you are, you are going to remain in the world, and I am sending you into the world. But as we read on, we'll hear that Jesus isn't going to leave them as orphans. I won't leave you alone in the world. I will send you the Spirit, another comforter, a helper. The Spirit of truth, the Spirit who will bear witness about me, the Spirit who will teach you, who will guide you. Yes, I'm sending you into the world. You're going to be in the world, but the Spirit will guide you. The Spirit will teach you. The Spirit will comfort you. And know that when you're in the world, you will, be, you will abide in the communion that I have with the Father. You will abide in the communion of the Father and the Son. And you will abide in my love. And he tells them, when you're in the world, there's two things that come out. You're going to be a praying people. You'll pray in my name. And you're going, to people, you're going to be a people who love one another just as I have loved you. And as a praying people in the world, and as a people who love one another just as I have loved you, the world will know that you're my people, you're my disciples, and the world will know that the Father sent the Son. This will be your witness in the world. And there's this wonderful phrase at the end of verse 1, having loved his own in the world, he loved them to the end, or he loved them to the uttermost. Nothing separates us from the love of Christ. Yes, you're going to be in the world, a place of hatred, a place of darkness, a place of sin, but you're going to be in the world as a people whom I have redeemed from sin. You're going to be a world, in the world as a, as a people who abide in my love, who walk in my light. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And this becomes a theme of these chapters, the love of Christ for his people. But before he says any of this, he does something. He washes his disciples' feet. And after washing his disciples' feet, he asks his disciples a question, and he gives them a command. And that's what we need to consider this morning, the question that he asks his disciples and the command that he gives to his disciples. So first he asks them this question, do you understand what I have done for you? And he asks us that question, do we understand what Jesus has done for us? And then secondly, the command, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you example. So we need to understand what he has done for us, and we need to keep that command, to wash one another's feet as he has washed our feet. So first the question, do you understand what I have done for you? Now we can't reduce what Jesus has done simply to a lesson. This is a lesson in humility. This is a reminder to us, yeah, we need to be humble too. We need to, be, we need to wash one another's feet. We can't simply reduce it down to that moral lesson. And when Jesus asks that question, do you understand what I've done for you? He's saying, you, you need to meditate on what I've done. You need to think about what I've done. Consider what I've done. Do you understand what I've done for you? And, and it goes way deeper than simply, hey, I'm humble, you be humble. It goes way deeper than that. And if we understand what Jesus has done in washing his disciples' feet at the Last Supper, then we'll see the glory in the action. It reveals the glory and the love of the Son of God. And we'll see that it signifies a deeper washing, the washing from sin. So first, it reveals his glory and love. Let's listen again to verses 2 to 5. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, 
and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Notice that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, everything, all authority had given, was given into his hands, and that he had come from God. He was in the beginning with God. He was God. He's the Son of God. He was in the bosom of the Father. Knowing that, and knowing that he was returning to the Father. Knowing that, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, in that action of getting up from the table, taking off his outer garment, wrapping the towel around his waist, filling the basin with water, stooping down. And we can imagine the time that this took, going around to each of the 12 disciples, kneeling down before each one, taking their feet one foot at a time, washing them with the water, taking the towel wrapped around his waist, wiping it clean, looking up into the eyes of each one of his disciples. It would have taken some time. The disciples were just there watching. Now that action was a revelation of the reality that he was from the Father and he was returning to the Father and all things were given into his hands. And we have in this action a revelation of who God is and a revelation of the glory of the Son. And what we see here is what we see all throughout Scripture, that God is a God who's not simply far off, who is simply transcendent, who simply reigns at a distance over his creation and over his people. He's a a God who comes near. He's a God who's close. And remember the beginning of the gospel. The word became flesh, became flesh. He, He shares in our weakness and our need. He became flesh and he dwelt among us, with us. And in that, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And grace and truth together, that's another way of saying love, full of love. And the Son descending, coming down, taking the form of a human being, but then taking the form of a slave, of a servant, and kneeling down at each one of his disciples' feet and washing his disciples' feet. It was a revelation of the love of God. And think of even that amazing moment in Exodus chapter 3 where God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses says, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am who I am. So yes, God God is transcendent. God is wholly other. We'll never fully understand or know who God is. He is who he is. But then he also says, tell them the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of Abraham. The one who says, I am who I am, also says, I'm the God of Abraham. I belong to Abraham. I'm his God. I know him. I love him. And in fact, I attach his name to myself. This is who I am. I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. So he's a God who, God is a God who comes down. He's not far off. He's near us, and he identifies with us. And he shares in our weakness, in our need. He knows it. Now Jesus says, all things have been given into my hands. 
He has complete authority, complete power, complete rule, sovereignty. And think in the ancient world how people would have thought about manifestations of such glory, of such authority. You know, think of the Roman Caesar in triumphant procession coming back from battle into Rome with all of the armies behind him and after that, the the slaves and those that he's conquered coming into Rome. Well, that displays power and authority. But here Jesus says, no, this is what it looks like. It means wrapping the towel around your waist. It means stooping down. It means washing the feet of my disciples. So do you understand what I've done for you? I've shown you my glory. I've shown you my love. But there's also a deeper meaning to the washing. It's not just the washing of feet that's significant here. And we see this in Jesus' conversation with Peter. So this is typical of Peter. The other disciples are probably just awkwardly in silence, looking around as Jesus is washing their feet. But Peter speaks up, as he usually does. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. For all eternity, this is the implication of what he's saying, for all eternity you'll never wash my feet. No way. But Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he who, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. Now listen to what Jesus says to Peter when Peter protests. First in verse 8, if, you do, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. You have no part in me. If I don't wash you, we're not reconciled. If I don't wash you, you are apart from me. You're separate from me. You need to be washed, Peter, if you're to have a share in me. If you're to have communion with me, you need to be washed. And so he's saying to Peter, Peter, your sins have made you unclean. Your sins have corrupted you, have polluted you. Remember what the prophet Isaiah says, what God says through the prophet Isaiah. All of your righteous deeds are as unclean rags, filthy rags. Your righteous deeds, the things that you think are good, those things are dirty rags. You need to be washed, you need to be cleansed. And Peter, if you're not washed, if you're not cleansed, you've got no part in me. You've got no share with me. Now, our Lord is about to shed his blood on the cross. This is the night when he was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion. And the shed blood of Christ cleanses us from all our sins, washes us from all our sins. Peter, do you see what I'm doing for you? Washing your feet is a sign that I've washed you. You've been washed. You've been cleansed. And so he says, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You're completely clean, Peter, because I've washed you, but you still need your feet washed. Now, our Lord asks, do you understand what I've done for you in washing your feet? And so we're looking for a deeper spiritual meaning to this. It's not just you need to make sure you've got good foot hygiene. That's not the issue here. But think about the significance of feet. Now, in the ancient world, you know, people wore sandals. And the roads were dusty and dirty, so you would have your shower in the morning, like most of us do. But then, as soon as you left the door and went out into the streets, you were walking in dirt, you were walking in dust, and and people walked everywhere, so you'd have very dirty feet. 
And when you went into someone else's house, that was just part of hospitality. You would wash the feet of your guests. They've got dirty feet. But the spiritual significance of this is the feet, our feet are where we have contact with the world. The feet is where we touch the earth. And he said to his disciples, you're in the world and I'm sending you into the world. And the world is a place where you're going to get dirty. You're not going to be unaffected by the sin of the world, the filth of the world. And you've been washed clean. You've been justified. Think of, think of the image of Jesus wiping the disciples' feet with the towel. I've taken the dirt on myself. I've taken your sin upon, your, um, upon myself. I've given you my righteousness. You're cleansed. But I'm sending you out into the world, and the world is a place where you're going to get your feet dirty, and you're going to need your feet cleansed. And so daily, you're going to need your feet washed by the washing of the word, by the washing of repentance and confession. And John later in his letter will say, don't, don't think that you have no sin. If, if someone says they have no sin, they're lying. But then he says, if you confess your sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need that cleansing. We have contact with the world. We're affected by that. Your life in the world is a life of repentance. You'll need to confess your sins. But then he says, not all of you are clean. And think about the word of scripture that Jesus quotes concerning Judas. He's the one that will lift his heel against him. Our Lord stoops down and washes the feet of Judas. But he's the one that's going to lift his heel against him. And Judas is someone who's not clean. He hasn't been washed. And yet, think about this, he had his feet washed. Now this is a picture that you come to church. You have your feet washed. Every Sunday you pray that prayer of confession that we all pray together. But you're not clean. And maybe you, you've been coming week by week, month by month, year by year, and you're just coming because your family comes. You come with your family. You're just coming because you're in a relationship with someone. And you want to maintain that relationship, so you're coming. You may come because you're, you're thinking, given given all of the changes in culture and society around us, it seems like Christians have a good view on things. You know, I appreciate their politics. I appreciate their social conservatism. So you're coming to church. And you go through the motions. You sing songs. You pray that prayer of confession. Your feet are being washed, but you are not clean. And this morning, you need to ask yourself, you need to examine your heart. Am I clean? Have I been washed? Am I born again? Does God's Spirit bear witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God? Do I know the cleansing power and the freedom of one who has been washed clean by the blood of Christ? Because Judas had his feet washed, but he was not clean. And I pray that's not you this morning. So do you understand what I've done for you? I've washed you. You're clean. That's the question. But then we have this command. You ought also to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example, a command to wash one another's feet. Let's listen again to verses 14 to 17. 
If I then, your, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now notice, first of all, that last verse. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And here's another question we need to consider this morning. Are we a people who simply know these things? And we're living in a time where, where there's, there's a certain pressure towards ideology, a certain pressure to knowing the right things, saying the right things. And some of us just simply want to make my T's crossed, you know, theologically got it all down. I know all of the distinctions. I know all of the right things to say. But here our Lord says, if you know these things, blessed are you, not if you know them, but if you do them. If you do them. And Christianity can't, cannot be reduced to simply a confession, an intellectual assent to the right things. And let me even put it this way. You're not justified by faith because you believe in the doctrine of justification by faith. Blessed are you if you do these things. There's a blessing in doing them. There's a blessing in living it out. There's not a blessing in simply knowing about it. And I'll also say we don't truly come to know these things and truly come to understand these things unless we do them. It's in the doing that we come to understand. It's in obedience that we come to know. So our Lord says there's a blessing not just in knowing about this. There's a blessing in doing it. And don't leave church this morning thinking, oh, okay, I've got a good understanding of how to read this passage of Scripture. Great, you know these things. There's no blessing in that. There's a blessing in doing them. Going and doing them. You know, you're, 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 you're writing out the, the lowercase s in cursive. And so you trace it out. And then eventually you find, okay, I can, I can write an S. One is practical and one is spiritual. Practically, we need to wash one another's feet. Spiritually, we need to wash one, another, one another's feet. So practically, we do. And sometimes that means we, we, we suffer financially, we suffer physically, we suffer in our health, we suffer in our relationships. And we don't just leave one another to kind of face these things on our own. We stoop down, we enter in. And we don't just know about it and send kind notes or let people know we're praying for them. That's good. Do that. But then go to the person. In a sense, rise up. Take off the outer garment. Go to them. And sometimes, I know we all like to offer help and we do that. But usually when you offer help, the person will say, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay, it's all right. And oftentimes, if we're honest, that's, that's almost as far as we're willing to go to offer the help. And we know, we expect, they're probably going to say, no, nah, it's okay. And sometimes we actually have to press in and say, hey, why don't I come over Tuesday afternoon? I'm coming over. Let's talk about this. Let's deal with this. Let's think about what we can do. And again, our Lord and the love of God was manifest 
by that personal proximity, he stepped down. He took his disciples' feet. He washed them. And so not only do we need to know about the needs of one another, but we're, we're those who we respond, we get up, we stoop down. And there's, Jesus says, you've got to share in me, Peter. I've got to share in you, Peter. And so we, we enter into one another's need. We enter into one another's suffering. We bear one another's burdens. And think about the fact that Jesus is, ma- is Lord, Master. He's Teacher. All things have been given into his hand. And this is how he exercises that leadership. This is how he exercises that authority. And there's a reminder to each one of us. Now, some of us are in obvious positions of leadership. Whether in the church or in the world. And this isn't saying if you, if you run a business, you need to just be doing the, you know, secretarial work. That's what this looks like. It doesn't look like that. There's a person that does the secretarial work. That's their work to do. So it's not saying that you don't, you don't do the things where you've called, where you've been called to serve and work. But it does mean, how, how is your, what's your view on the work that God has called you to do in the position where God has placed you? And our Lord is telling us that he exercises his leadership by going down to where people are and lifting them up. And always has a view to, in this case, his disciples. He cares for his disciples. He's thinking about the well-being of his disciples, the good of his disciples, the blessing of his disciples. And so those of you who are fathers in the home, how is it that you are raising up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And it doesn't mean you do need to discipline your children, but it doesn't mean you're standing up here talking down at them and just disciplining them. You come down. You say, hey, here's what's going on. You've just sinned here. I am going to discipline you for this. But you come down to raise them up. Or some of you, you know, even your own older brother. Some of you are older brothers, older sisters. How do you treat your younger siblings? You know, you know a thing or two. You've got a bit more responsibility. You've got a bit more freedom. Do you lower that over? And the irony of this, and we get this from Luke's gospel, is that when Jesus does this, at the time, probably, given what Luke tells us in Luke 22, his disciples are arguing amongst themselves about who's the greatest. And our Lord says, that's not the attitude. That's not the perspective. I know you look out at the world and there's this jostling and this competition and everyone's trying to get, you know, be number one. Not here. The first will be last. And remember what we read at the, at the opening of our service. Have this mind among yourselves. This is the mind. Which is yours. It's yours. This mindset has been given to you. In Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Have this mind among yourselves. So practically speaking, this is, this is how we wash one another's feet, but also spiritually. 
Because the dirt on our feet, that's sin. And the sin needs to be washed. And there's a way in which we can spiritually wash one another's feet. Washing with the word. Washing through confession and repentance. And we all need to be honest that we're living in the world and the world is a dirty place and we all have dirty feet. And there's no sense in pretending that you don't have dirty feet. You do. And here we're, we're, we're told how it is that when we see one another's dirty feet, what's our response? Oh, glad that's not me. Yeah, look how they're struggling. That's not my issue. I'm feeling pretty good that I'm not, I haven't fallen into that. No, in love, we, we come down to our brother, our sister, and say, hey, I've noticed this. I see this. And then there's the washing of the word. Hey, let's look at God's word together. And we wash one another's feet through, through intercession. And there is a sense where the sin of our brothers and sisters ought to bring us down to our knees in intercession for them. And even we ought to wash their, their feet with, with our tears. And sometimes we, we're, we're a bit too complacent about one another's sin. We do, quite frankly, we don't care that other people are sinning. Like we're aware of it. We're not moved by it. It doesn't, it doesn't bring us to our knees to pray, and it ought to. So the washing of the word, the washing of intercessory prayer... And also, we need to recognize, each one of us, we've got dirty feet, and we need other people to wash our feet. And so we're honest with one another. We go to one another, we say, hey, I'm really struggling with this right now. Can you pray for me? I want to confess my sin to you. Will you wash my feet? Will you speak the gospel back to me? Will you assure me of the forgiveness of my sins? Will you remind me of the cleansing power of, of Christ? Bless me. And there we see the, the privilege we have as priests to one another. This is the priesthood of all believers. Our ministry of word, our ministry of prayer, our ministry of confession one to another. And it's a ministry of cleansing, of washing. And it's a, there's a blessing in it. Blessed are you if you do these things. And as we go on in chapter 13, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, as I have loved you, you ought to love one another. And by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. And then later in John 17, he says, By your love for one another, your unity with one another, the world will see that and know that the Father sent the Son. And so the blessing that we know in washing one another's feet is a blessing that flows out. It's a blessing that shines. It's a blessing that the world sees. And that's what marks us out as the people of God. That's what, mark, that's what declares to the world that the Father sent the Son. So yes, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So we stoop down, we meet one another's needs, we care for one another, we reach out to one another. And we also recognize that we all have dirty feet. And so in love, we, we wash one another's feet. The cleansing of the word, the cleansing of intercessory prayer, the cleansing of confession. Now, for this very reason that we have dirty feet, we come to the Lord's table every Sunday. 
Yes, we've all been justified. Yes, the Father has drawn us to the Son. The Son will never let us go. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's taken away our sin. But our feet need to be washed. And at the Last Supper, our Lord also gave us the command to take this bread and receive this bread and receive this cup. And so let's come to the Lord's table now, knowing that because he has washed us, we have a part in him, a share in him, communion with him. And knowing that in this cup, this is the cup of the new covenant in his blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness, for the cleansing of our sin.